welcome ladies and gentlemen to this session on artificial intelligence and warfare i feel privileged to chair this session that has two very knowledgeable experts on artificial intelligence as we know ai is the branch of computer science concerned with developing machines that can complete tasks that typically require human intelligence but before i come to the experts let me just give you a brief lowdown on where we are in this exciting new scientific venture or frontier uh, we have got space the final frontier earlier which it no longer is and i and i may not be too wrong in saying that ai was a frontier that started getting investigated way back in 1940s but the scientific inquiry has really made giant strides in the past four decades or so uh, with the pace really quickening with availability of exponentially increased computing power and the advent of machine learning but more on machine learning from our two experts later ai is being researched and developed on two tracks the civilian and military and it may not be wrong to say that the civilian field may be a step ahead and the developments there are being pulled into the military field with the required adaptations china may be in the lead in ai research and development though there are conflicting views in this regard currently it is primarily focused on using ai to make faster and more well informed decisions as well as developing a variety of autonomous military vehicles russia announced in the same year its intention in ai technologies when president putin said and i quote whoever becomes the leader in this field will rule the world unquote moscow is more focused on robotics Similarly the US National Defense Strategy released in January 2018 identified artificial intelligence as one of the key technologies that will as the document says ensure the US will be able to fight and win the wars of the future money is literally pouring in with the US venture capitalists investing around 8 billion dollars in R&D in 2018 alone Similarly a, a congressional research service paper states that its department of defense its unclassified investment in ai have gone up from just over 600 million in 2016 to a projected 2.5 billion in 2021 with the department reportedly maintaining over 600 and i repeat 600 active ai projects So what can AI do, and why is it such a sought-after technology? While a number of analysts believe that the technology will have minimal or some moderate impact, most believe that AI will have at least an evolutionary, if not a revolutionary, effect. AI technology could facilitate autonomous operations, lead to more informed and quick military decision making. thereby augmenting the speed and scale of military actions 
It is being incorporated in ISR as well as in logistics, cyber ops, information operations, and that's important. Cyber info operations, and we'll talk about it as we go along. Command and control, semi-autonomous and autonomous vehicles, and it may also be unpredictable or vulnerable to unique forms of manipulation. And we'll talk about it in our discussions. And with such a powerful tool as the AI coming in the hands of people, and I need to correct that, not just people, but machines who can wield destructive power, it is obviously imperative that policymaking and its implementation keep pace. So in India, what should the government do now as in an institutional way so that we are not left behind in R&D and in the policy-making field. And may I just flag two issues before the experts come in. One is information warfare with the menace of fake news permeating our consciousness and lethal autonomous vehicles. With the question of giving autonomy to a machine to make life and death decisions and taking a human out of the loop, we are in dangerous territory. We have two very learned people with us, Mr. Rajiv Malhotra joining us from the U.S. and Lieutenant General P.J.S. Pano here in Gurgaon. But first, uh, we'll move to Mr. Rajiv Malhotra and I'll introduce General Pano when his turn comes. Uh, Mr. Malhotra, he graduated from St. Stephen's College in Delhi almost 50 years back and moved to the United States for, becoming, uh, for studying physics and computer science. He is an entrepreneur in IT industry and launched Infinity Foundation that specializes in study of Indian civilization and its place in the world. He has a forthcoming book, AI and the Future of Power, coming out. And that's something we're looking forward to and which I will get discussed in this fest. Uh, over, over to you, Mr. Malokra. You can please unmute yourself. Over to you. Namaste, and thank you, Air Marshal, for a wonderful introduction to the field of artificial intelligence. Uh, my posture as a physicist and computer scientist, uh, almost 50 years ago, while doing graduate studies in computer science, my topic was artificial intelligence, even though at the time it was a rudimentary field. We were still trying to write chess programs, which of course now is considered trivial. So this is this is a, a field that has come a long way. Uh, and in the last four or five years, I decided to get back as a, as a topic of study, not becoming a artificial intelligence technocrat uh, uh, again, but looking at its implications to society, to politics, to economics, to military, uh, to unemployment, all, all those areas. And so I, I, being based in the US, although I visit India four times every year, except this year, I, I'm unable to do that. Uh, I am primarily, I, I've studied the US uh, and I've studied China. Uh, and I've looked at the role of artificial intelligence in the US-China conflict. I believe that uh, when people think it's just a, a trade war, I mean, they don't understand that actually the US is very, very concerned that China has taken a lot of secrets in advanced technology and when I say AI, it's a whole, it's an umbrella term for a lot of technologies, including robotics, including drones, including, uh, you know, a whole lot of fields. 
including nanotechnology, aerospace, and AI sort of the brains that puts it all together and gives them another force multiplier. So when you look at all this, uh, U.S. is very concerned that China has leapfrogged at the expense of the United States. And the U.S., especially the Trump administration, has suddenly woken up and decided to uh, talk back and get, get back into the action. So I'm going to look at, in, in a few minutes that I have, I'm going to present uh, my view of uh, the China-U.S. Uh, tension. And then I'll talk about where I see India is. Uh, uh, based on whatever information I've gathered, because I've read quite a lot, everything I can get my hands on, Niti Aayog uh, reports, various uh, government reports and so on on India. And uh, to, in a nutshell, uh, India is a late entrant. India is many years behind in both China and US in this, in this technology. It's uh, very good that India is getting interested and very serious about it. And being in the company of two eminent uh, military leaders is very heartening that uh, the government and the military especially are taking this matter very seriously. I believe that AI is a game changer. It's a very, very serious thing. It's not just evolution. It's, uh, it, it's, going, to, uh, it's going to make as much a difference as you know the industrial revolution, the electrification of factories and things like that. Uh, the haves and have-nots uh, will be redefined. Uh, and and uh, uh, it will be uh, uh, there, there'll be new haves and new haves that's based on uh, where they stand in terms of the artificial intelligence technology. Uh, the military cannot be the military implications cannot be isolated from the rest of the economy and the rest of society because uh, after all, a society with more economic power can invest more uh, than a society which has less economic power. A society which is socially more cohesive has less to uh, invest in keeping itself together versus a society which has got a lot of internal rift and internal conflicts because a lot of resources are drained in order just to keep the society together. So I think there's a whole macro ecosystem, which is what my book is looking at, what, how AI impact, impacts major nation states. And India is my case study in that, in that book. Now, just to give a few points, because I'm not able to show the slides, but I will make a few points. The... 2030 projected incremental AI economy. How much is the global increase in global economy, global GDP, uh, because of AI? The PricewaterhouseCoopers, which is an eminent American company, says it's uh, 16 trillion, and it predicts that 7 trillion, the largest part of it, goes to China. And this is the American prediction. So U.S. is number two, and then there is other countries like uh, like uh, Europe and Southern Europe and Asia, Japan, South Korea, etc., Latin America. India is clubbed in as rest of the world. Rest of the world with just 1.2 trillion out of 16. So India will get a fraction of a small amount. So it's a, it's almost like a 10 to 1 difference between India and China as it stands today. Now, of course, that doesn't mean it will remain that way. India can catch up, and India, I hope, will catch up. But I want to first set the stage with some facts. As we speak today, U.S., China, and Japan are responsible for almost 80% of all AI patent filings. 75% uh, of all the blockchain uh, patents are U.S. and, uh, US and China together. 75% uh, of all cloud computing market share. Uh, if you look at the 70 largest digital platform companies, 70 largest, 
95, 90% of the market capitalization is these two countries. So basically, you can say, and these are United Nations statistics. You, UNTAD has come up with the, this kind of a report. So the role of AI is very central to the whole future of China. China has bet its place in the world using AI as the central technology. And the United States has now responded because it realizes that uh, things have gone too far. Until the U.S. response recently at the government level, it was the U.S. private sector, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, you know, uh, a lot of these companies, Netflix, Amazon. It's the U.S. tech giants that were doing the AI. Defense was involved. Defense was also involved, but in, in not as much as Air Marshal said. But things have changed. The, the U.S. government has really activated its role as, as a government, and they have initiated a whole lot of military, industrial, academic alliances. So this is something, you know, General Eisenhower talked about the military-industrial complex, where the military and industry are sort of together. And actually, later, what happened is the military-industrial-academic, uh, you know, uh, complex has emerged. When I was a graduate student in computer science, uh, my professor, uh, you know, in the U.S., my professor had defense contracts, and uh, we, the students, were part of that. I had to get security clearance with the Pentagon because I used to visit there. So this is very normal. If you're a science technology kind of a, a student working on a PhD or some graduate studies or something, then, you know, you work with a professor. He's got these defense contracts and you're part of it. And this is an ecosystem that India doesn't have where defense, industry and academics work together. India has separate silos. And this is a very big difference between the way U.S. works. So the, uh, to give you an example, the U.S. started this National Security Commission on AI that the U.S. has started recently. And Eric Schmidt, who is the former CEO of Google, uh, became its head, became the chairman. So they've taken a person who's head of Google into the U.S. national security to lead the AI initiative. So you can see the confluence of industry and government uh, working together. And the whole purpose stated in their official uh, charter is to counter the rise of China in artificial intelligence. And they also are worried that this pandemic has been used by China to boost itself further in artificial intelligence because it can get a lot of data, it can take advantage of other people's vulnerabilities and so on. Now, I want to discuss the in brief, the US Department of Defense has always played a very important role in cutting edge technologies. The DARPA, which is Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, invented what later became the internet. It used to be called DARPA-NET. They dropped the D, became ARPA-NET, and I was using it as an academician before it was privatized and turned into public offering, public service called internet. So it started like that. The GPS was a DARPA invention. Driverless cars, DARPA has uh, played the pioneering role. And in artificial intelligence, there are so many projects that now the Defense Department is pioneering. So you see, in the U.S. and in China, you will find that the military is combined very closely with the private sector. The Chinese, you know, Alibaba and all these guys, Tencent and so on, Baidu, they are very much aligned with the People's Republic, uh, Liberation Army. So both U.S. and China have this in common. The Department of Defense funds a lot of stuff, some of in their own labs and some in the private sector labs. And this way, they create a whole ecosystem. The private sector brings in academics who bring in students. So this is a very big pipeline. 
this is a this is something that india has to think about so when you look at defense contractors like lockheed martin boeing general dynamics north northrop grumman raytheon and nowadays the defense contractors include people like microsoft people like google they are they are part of the defense establishment also so they all have defense divisions which are very big uh, this is an important issue which i think uh, india does not have that the others have now i won't go into all the us department of defense programs there are so many of them that i could we could get into uh, they are developing uh, you know the navy is developing the undersea version of uh, drones you know which don't with automated submarines and driverless vehicles of all sorts so you will see uh, a military where you know united states may have 1 lakh drones in the air force uh, we may have hundreds of undersea vehicles and these would be operated with ai from a central control place somewhere and have a lot of autonomy uh, so as opposed to piloted planes the the pilotless planes are going to become more popular and we can get into the q and a during the q and a on what are the implications for india because i feel concerned about india big uh, within this neighborhood because Ch- pakistan probably get a lot of benefit of this from china now the indian situation is that india produces the second largest number of stem you know science technology mathematics these kind of graduates but then niti ayog's own report admits that the vast majority of them are not doing innovative work they're just doing support work maintenance work and many of the brightest ones go abroad and niti ayog did a report on artificial intelligence and found that the indians overseas are very prominent in this field of ai and i can tell you that is true indians are very smart people they are all over the place but indians in india only a small amount of them are doing pioneering work and those two tend to be working for google in india microsoft in india uh, facebook in india they're working for the american companies and the chinese have made big investments in ai as venture capitalists in uh, i think in 2018 or 19 in 2018 the chinese invested 5 billion dollars in india in venture capital so they now of course there are some restrictions because of political things that have happened also the niti ayog report says that if you look at phd's doing research in ai and rank india is number 10 in the world and if you look at ai experts who are cited and quoted all over the world as influencers is ranked number 13 now this does not include the indians who are living in america or europe and all that because they are not working for the indian ecosystem they are working for those countries so on the one hand india has a large talent pool Uh, on the other hand the the talent pool has been siphoned off in other countries india has not been able to utilize its own talent pool the niti ayog report also is very critical i'm very appreciative that they have understood the problem very clearly that while tcs and uh, wipro and uh, tata and these uh, you know infosys have been inside the american corporate sector and inside the american government right in the heart of the technology and managing it they did not invest in the future technologies they are providing labor to the client who who does the work, who owns the work so when there are uh, 1 lakh or whatever number of large ibm engineers are in india we are very proud of it but all that technology belongs to ibm and its clients it does not belong to the indians so we are providing labor but we are not owning the technology then we have to license the technology back we have tech, there is ai in rafael jets there is ai in nukes uh, you know ships submarines guns whatever we buying in the future it will have ai and the cost of this equipment that we are buying is going to become more and more unaffordable uh, be- because the foreign countries will charge a premium for it irony is that it's indian people 
in many cases who are doing all this work for those uh, foreign uh, foreign companies so i uh, if you uh, in my work i'm looking at uh, india uh, in terms of its human resource that's an issue in artificial intelligence where are we in human resource the technology itself how much are we developing how much are we having to import the big data that india has funding strategy and the overall ecosystem and i will close by saying india needs something the scale of isro something the scale of baba atomic research needs something of that scale that magnitude for artificial intelligence and therefore we need somebody like a homi baba vikram sarabhai you know or a satish dhawan some leader of that kind to be running this ai on a very big scale because separate silos fragmented here and there is not going to be good enough and we have almost 10 years to catch up and we don't we cannot spend a whole lot of time because uh, the enemy is at the gate so to speak uh, i'll close thank you very much and i'll be happy to take questions thank you very much uh, mr malhotra uh, that was wonderful uh, before uh, we go to general pandu if i may just uh, ask you you talked about the civil uh, military interaction that's going on in the us and uh, lately there has been a big paper that has come out on the china in china's civil military fusion uh can you yes. uh, just in about a minute or two just talk about civil military fusion in china yes you know if you look at tencent baidu alibaba huawei you look at these giant four uh, chinese companies and under them there are several hundred smaller companies in a big ecosystem and then these chinese companies are investing in foreign countries these chinese companies are embedded with the people's liberation army you will find that uh, there are so many government contracts that are given to these companies uh, these companies are dependent on licensing and all that so in a sense china has got these companies are very dual faced uh, chinese government gave birth to these giants by banning google facebook amazon in china the reason being let's build a chinese ecosystem then it can expand all over the world why are we going to create market share and money and wealth to the americans china did this you know decade ago and we are welcoming these american companies rather than building our own ecosystem we are very proud that uh, you know jio is investing in uh, i mean facebook and google are investing in jio the chinese attitude is look we're going to create our own because we're going to own the technology from the scratch so the chinese uh, military industrial academic complex is very integrated and then you know the some of the investments they are making in india india is saying we will uh, the the people uh, the chinese investors will not be as welcome and all that but guess what some of the investments being made by china are through singapore some of them are through their yeah. european subsidiary it is not so clean it's not so clean i mean alibaba invest in india through some china, uh, singapore thing so as far as the government is concerned you know it's a singapore investment so chinese are very clever people and and uh, i so have friends indian indian friends in ai that china has recruited so this is a big uh, game that china is playing yeah we'll discuss this a little more in the in, in the q and a uh, thank you very much yes. for that insight uh, we have our second uh, panelist lieutenant general pjs pannu uh, pvsm avsm vsm uh, he's been a core commander in yes where lay where all the action is happening uh he's also been the deputy chief of integrated defense staff in uh headquarter ids uh, integrated defense staff 
Uh, he's raised, and that's important, India's Defense Space Agency, the Cyber Agency, and the Special Ops Division. So he's the pioneer in setting up these three niche tri-service entities. He's an alumnus of the National Defense College, and presently he's pursuing his PhD in indigenization of defense industry for modernization of the armed forces. He's published extensively on space issues, strategy, and technology. And he believes in the armed forces setting the pace for technology-based warfare and pushing the R&D in the sector. Over to you, General Pan. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, uh, Air Vice uh, Marshal uh, Bahadur. Uh, it was a pleasure listening to Rajiv Malhotra on the artificial intelligence, how it is growing uh, in the civilian world as well as in the military domain. Then today we are directly challenged by it. It is no more uh, theory that uh, India has a challenge on the borders. Uh, this year we have been attacked virtually by the PLA. Uh, for years together, ever since we became independent, our military has been contesting these borders. And also we have challenge on over 7,000 kilometers of coastline. We have almost double than that uh, borders with the neighbors in which 25% of them are hotly contested. As you see today, that the PLA has occupied certain areas and is literally pushing the Indian uh, military uh, on the line of actual control. Uh, India has given a befitting reply, which is man-to-man -man reply in conventional means. But what is left to be seen is how the technology is going to here and after decide things. Uh, when uh, AVM Bahadur was mentioning about that AI has been in play for decades together, yes, but then the Indian industry and the world industry literally sat at uh, industry 3.0. And now that industry is sitting at 4.0, you find there are smart gadgets available, there are computers, which are now networked, that we call a cyber domain, which has come together. So earlier we used to call it command, control, and communications, that is C3, which has today become C5. Literally, it is command, control, communications, computers, and cyber, all put together, uh, have given a niche uh, you know, capability for the digital platforms to be used differently for command and control, and then if you collect intelligence and information and put together, you find that large amount of data which can be collected and given to the commanders to process through the machine would come in handy to program the decision-making decision and to speed up the OODA loop, which is you know when you observe and when you decide and act. Uh, so literally speaking, anybody who can observe, uh, decipher what's happening in the field, uh, decide and act, faster than the other, would be a winner in the battlefield. You cannot decide later than the adversary. You cannot decide wrong based on the inputs which are available to you, uh, which are either incorrect or manipulated or are not available at all. There will be gaps in the information. What information would you process? So data collection through all these means is extremely important. It is not only data collection. Literally, when you talk about the artificial intelligence, it is connecting the machine with the human mind. When human being gets connected and then machine-to-machine -machine work comes into play, ultimately the beneficiary is a human being. It cannot happen 
that you are developing machines which go beyond the control of a human being. They have to well within the means that the human being employed has to be completely programmed and used in a manner that the human being can benefit out of it. But when you talk about adversary, it is not human being to human being. It is actually one human against the other human by using the interface of machines. That is where the whole game becomes very complex. When you talk about artificial intelligence, there are programs, as, the, as they call it, algorithms, which are going to be written down by people. Now, who are these people who are going to program the machines? It is human being which is going to program the machine. And the human being is not experienced enough. You put a teenager to program a machine, he would do it out of fantasy. And you know what happens, you know, when these youngsters play video games and they go around shooting the whole world, you know, uh, with an AK-47 uh, mounted in front of them. And uh, the outcome you saw in New Zealand and then uh, later on uh, in Sri Lanka, all over the world, the shooting has taken place because of a teenager's fantasy of a human mind, how it works and becomes a killing machine. When a human being is going to program a machine, it is going to be limited to the fantasy that he keeps. AR, VR, that is the augmented and the virtual reality. Uh, platforms are going to really come in in a, in, a, in a major manner that you do not know actually who you're dealing with the actual human being or you're dealing with a virtual human being. Uh, we have to close this gap and make sure that what a human mind, a matured human mind, supported by the government, supported by the rules, regulations, and supported by the, uh, the, the rules uh, at sea or air or ground are the ones which are actually implemented on ground. Uh, you also cannot have a program which can be hijacked by somebody else. You know, those algorithms are available with somebody else also. There are huge amount of sensors which will have to come in. We have recently signed Becca uh, with the US in which huge amount of geospatial data is going to be available of the adversary which you can target with precision, but who is to take this decision? And if you're going to shoot a missile on a given target, which has been given to you as an accurate target, I do not know if you're going to neutralize the target, whether you're going to get a correct feed as that target has been destroyed, or there is going to be a virtual image given to you of a destruction having uh, been achieved. Uh, the same information can be played back on what you want to see on your screen, and you will be happy with that. And ABM uh, Bahadur would, you know, uh, uh, agree with me that in an aircraft, if virtually you are being told your target has been engaged and destroyed, and the computer says, yes, it has been destroyed, he has no other way but to believe a machine that it has been destroyed. But would, would the virtual platforms be trustworthy, which are actually enmeshed with your own systems and the pilot in a manner that he knows exactly what he wanted to achieve has been achieved. The next part is <clears throat> the ISR. Now, ISR, I already spoke about the I of it, which became I2. The, the surveillance and reconnaissance uh, has actually gone into star two, as I understand, that it is surveillance, target acquisition, reconnaissance, and robotics. When you talk about robotics, obviously, we're talking about artificial intelligence, where Information will come, information will be processed, information will be acted upon by a, 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 a robot in a manner that if you pre-program that this is the kind of target that I want to engage, it doesn't need to come back to the authority of making a decision because you have actually given 
a pre-instruction for that kind of a target, and if there is a matching of that target, the target would get destroyed. Uh, it is just that maybe the warning would come back that the target is about to be destroyed. Uh, you could you could think, but you know it is going to be so huge in uh, the plethora of information that that will come in. The commanders may not sit uh, and decide and take a decision on the millisecond of uh, you know retracting that order. Uh, so as a result, huge amount of destruction would be based on automatic programming, and and that is where when I talk about the star two. That is the surveillance target acquisition. It means whatever you see, you have to just press a button that this is what I want to be destroyed. The shooter sensor integration would destroy the target on a pre-planned and a robotic manner, which is automated. And that is where the, the automation of any weapon system is being spoken about. It can be a tank. It can be a drone. It can be an aircraft. Uh, today, it is possible when you take out the pilot or a tank commander or, or somebody who is in a ship if you take the human being out of it, why can't I, a, a plane uh, which is flying uh, become a ship and, and float on the surface and dive into the uh, uh, ocean and become a submarine for the moment, come back again, float around on the surface and take off and go back into the air and do whatever uh, is required to be done. So submersible drones would mean that this submersible drone can have a multi-dimensional uh, uh, usage uh, under sea, on the surface, and even in the air. Similarly, anything which works on the ground, uh, you could you could have your amphibious vehicle, which is actually in the ocean in a coastal area. It will be amphibious. Um, it would come on the on the ground, fight it out, and maybe take off and go back to its own base. So, so as a result, the AR VR combined with the machinery which has been programmed by itself and goes into a deep learning and self-learning can at some point become devastating if the human being is not the master of this gadget or the gadgets or the robotics which are going to be at play in this uh, field of military and warfare. Though the technology is inevitable, it will come. But is this technology going to be your subservient? It is going to be somebody who is going to be in your control is something that is quite worrisome. In fact, um, I've had an experience, and uh, a lot of you know Air Force officers would uh, understand what I'm saying, that you uh, send in a, a drone for reconnaissance, and you find that on your screen, it is actually returning home. Uh, and it is on auto. Uh, but it is only actually returning home. It is showing you false return home. Actually, it's already crashed. Uh, I have also seen some amount of information that it carried was actually manipulated on return or whatever it discharged from what it was seeing. It means that the OEM has possibly shared the algorithms in a manner, or the algorithms are uh, you know, stolen. So when you talk about uh, China as a manufacturing hub, China having the R&D, China having the civilian military, uh, that is a PLA, controlling the uh, civilian uh, R&D as also uh, in the manufacturing uh, segment, uh, the entire machinery can be programmed in a manner that you are stealing information from the entire world. Now imagine that you on a given day have a hope and you're confident that your systems are secure. Your uh, software is with you. Your artificial intelligence the algorithms are completely owned by you. Uh, the uh, communication between the satellite 
and back to the platform is secure according to you. But China has gone into quantum technology and quantum physics really can either secure your systems very well or also break codes faster than you can actually program them. So when you actually talk about protecting yourself and defending your own information, doing whatever is required to be done, uh, the quantum technology can actually go not only sit where your, your entire information is stored, not that it can only manipulate, but I think it can completely alter the whole thing at the last minute when the push, uh, push button uh, is, is, is uh, approaching, that the time has approached for uh, uh, you know, activating the entire front. So, so as a result, uh, going back to what the situation is today on ground, the Indian Armed Forces are sitting in super high altitude. Uh, the troops are at, at the actually uh, extreme end of uh, fatigue. They're at the extreme end. You know, human body is not designed to be at 15, 16, 17,000, at 20,000 feet. We've been operating at 22,000 feet in Siachen Glacier. We've been flying helicopters above the ceiling limit. It was not designed for that. Uh, we have been using all that is required, whether it is human being or technology or equipment. But all this has been either imported or has been manufactured by the Indian vendors who have not actually gone in for practices of Industry 4.0. So therefore, I urge the industry and urge the research and development to come together in India and make sure that they are leading the industry to have half a notch ahead of what the industry gives you, that is Industry 4.0. And therefore, constantly keep talking about that military must think 4.5. Unless you do this, you would not have your own DARPA. You would not have the DARPA equivalent that is in the defense or the defense industry giving programs which are later on civilized and not that the corporate programs are militarized. I think it has to be the other way around. I think Rajiv brought it up very well. My time is over. So I think this is a very interesting uh, subject. One can keep talking about it uh, on and on. But thank you very much. I would look forward to any questions if there are on this uh, subject. Oh, wonderful. Uh, absolutely fine. Uh, let's uh, get into a few questions amongst us. Uh, I have a few queries after listening to, 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 uh, to both of you. And when I pose the question, either of you can respond, unless I address it to a particular one. Now, I was just wondering, uh, we talked of, uh, you know, uh, augmented reality and virtual reality. I know in the Air Force now, with the augmented reality, the amount of um, saving and realism that you can get in training, training pilots, uh, is, is, is tremendous. So, and, and sky is the limit in that. So that is one place where we can think of, uh, you know, getting, especially with the present financial crunch that's going to happen. Not that this technology is going to be cheap, but uh, it will save on flying hours, for example, for the Air Force, and similar thing could happen for the Army. Uh, General Pandu, if I can ask you, uh, can, uh, can we import artificial intelligence uh, in isolation? as a weapon system. We've imported the Rafale, for example. We imported the T-92 tanks. Can we just import uh, artificial intelligence and incorporate? And after that, uh, the same question to you, Mr. Um, Avian Bahadur, I think the answer is less of yes and more of no. 
you can get a platform which is programmable, uh, but it will not contain the data, or if it comes with the data, it is not your data. Your data will have to be programmed by you. So a platform which is programmable does not have your data, and you do not have access to data, or you have not processed the data to be converted into algorithm, uh, I think it won't work. Uh, there is a case in point in some, some amount of Air Force equipment that you bought, and it is not squarely answering that, but um, if you look at uh, our 130s, uh, you know, for special ops, um, some of the ability that it has as far as the terrain and the navigation is concerned, well, was not given to us because we, I did not pay for it, and secondly, whatever was there, the data was taken out of it. And to start working on the same equipment, you have to feed in your own terrain and data, and then you have to start doing things that you can actually go to those places where you actually want to go yourself, because that is not given to you. Of course, somebody can program it for you, but then it means all your security information, which you think is yours, would be given to you by somebody else. And if somebody else gives it to you, and I'm not saying whether you have a trustworthy partner or otherwise, uh, but you will never be able to trust something which has been, that is the problem with who are we? Uh, that is a problem with the chip manufacturing. You know, we, we don't know from where what comes. Uh, as a result, when you start importing the equipment, you do not know whether the data that is already there in a programmable way or otherwise, how, how it will mesh in with your own uh, data. So therefore, data autonomy and data fusion and understanding of data is something which I think is a, is a major problem. The platforms are welcome, but data is something is we have to program our own. Um, Rajiv? Uh, so, sorry, I fully agree with him, uh, uh, what he said, but I'll go a step further. When you import AI, not only are you depending on data and the machine learning on somebody else's environment, you have to redo it for your environment, but it's even worse because you'll always be one generation behind their capability. You'll always have to go back to them because you've, and you've done your investment on their platform. You'll have to go back to them for upgrades. You'll have to, you, and you know, the other thing is, as, as he said already, uh, the, uh, you are assuming that the image you're getting is true because his data, his sensors are providing you that image. Uh, it may be true because they are friends today, but maybe tomorrow it won't be true. So the, this is the path towards digital colonization. We're becoming a digital colony. It's like when England became an industrial power, we became a colony as a result of that because we became dependent on their technology and all that. And for 200 years, that's what happened. So this rise of AI is going to disrupt the world system. There'll be new haves and have nots. There'll be colonizers and colonies. U.S. and China would be colonizers. China has already colonized Pakistan. China has colonized parts of Africa. By giving them this technology, making them dependent on the uh, Chinese surveillance, sensors, facial recognition, tracking, all that these uh, other countries are becoming dependent on. China knows more about who, what's going on, who's doing what through this facial recognition that they have put in thousands of places, even in Pakistan, along their, along their corridor. So the India to import uh, has uh, multiple problems. This is it, the only way India can become reliant on its own AI is to have joint collaboration. You need a lot of budget for this. Military industry should work together, build Indian systems. In the, why can't we do it? Because, you know, India has so many brilliant engineers working everywhere in the world. 
and producing the break, major breakthroughs, we just haven't been able to utilize them for ourselves. So, I, and, and the quantum computing, I was mentioned, I want to say this, quantum computing will be another game changer. Uh, Google is developing a quantum computer, which it says will be 100 million times, 100 million times faster than the conventional computer once it is ready. Now, it may take a decade or whatever it takes. I know that TIFR has started a program because they hired one of my friends uh, who, who came from overseas just to help start this program on quantum computing because the Indian side is very concerned that China, once it gets quantum computing, they'll be able to break all the uh, you know security. All the security, we won't be able to break into theirs. They'll be able to break all their security, plant fake stuff and fake uh, status of what's happened to a plane or whatever. Uh, so this ability to invade and intrude somebody else's uh, space uh, will be, be uh, available to a, a quantum computing system unless the other side has an equal system also. So the this, this asymmetry of power that uh, AI will give you uh, is a dangerous thing if you become dependent on imported part from here, imported part from there. Uh, you know, you buy some plane, but it's, what makes it brilliant is that it's got AI in it and you don't know much about it. You don't know those algorithms. Somebody else is pushing the buttons. This is India is falling into a trap because it hasn't become powerful enough in its own R&D. OK, uh, that's a wonderful uh, term. You said that digital colonization, uh, actually a very powerful term, digital colonization. Uh, to both of you, just one, one minute each uh, so that we have time later on for question answers from the audience. Uh, lethal autonomous weapons, uh, where are we and what should be done? A minute each to both of you, starting with you, Jair uh, Autonomous weapons are a possibility. Uh, it depends who programs it. Uh, immature will program it in a manner that the autonomous vehicle or a weapon will be very prematurely, you know, it'll act in a manner that the programmer would do it. How many people are really experienced in that kind of a war fighting? Uh, provided the mature minds, you see, uh, I would say a lot of veterans and retired people need to actually go into putting their experience into how these machines should function. The new generation can make it function, but they will not be able to put their experience into it. So I think there is a fusion between the veterans who are uh, you know, uh, experience in warfare, and the youngsters can bring in technology together. That kind of a fusion is extremely important. But uh, for an accident to happen, there are very high chances today. And uh, I would say one has to be extremely careful. And this has to be evolutionary. Uh, this cannot be, you know, revolutionary. Uh, Rajiv? So uh, I just want viewers to know something very interesting. DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency in the USA, is the one that started uh, autonomous vehicles, driverless car revolution, by offering a competition with an award. Uh, you had to make a vehicle in the, in the Nevada desert. Uh, there was a where, where the vehicle would start and the race would go. It was 100, 200 miles long race. Uh, and, and you could do anything you want, and the, the vehicle that got there first would win the prize. First year, it was done, and they did it many years. First year, it was done. No vehicle went more than a few feet. They all blew up, and they fell apart and all that. But I think it, it created an excitement. Uh, there was a, a team from Stanford. There was a team from Carnegie Mellon. There were a team from MIT. The second time it happened, 
several vehicles completed the race. Some did it better than others. So this started a kind of a private sector and with young people from universities uh, and there were sponsors, just like in Formula One, there were people sponsoring, corporate people sponsoring my team, your team. Actually, it created a lot of excitement. Now, Indian, Indian military and government need to harness the creativity of the industry, bring them on board and do these kind of things. Have some competitions um, for a civilian. It may look like a civilian thing, but why was DARPA doing it? They were not interested in making ordinary cars. They were, they were making military vehicles, uh, but they, they brought the civilian energy on their side. So this kind of a, a collaboration India needs because we want to ignite the imagination of Indian people. We want more people working in India, for India, in this technology. And the military has to be a very important part driving this whole thing. And military has to have a huge budget from the government. Okay, uh, we need to end this session. But before uh, we close uh, from, the, from the panel side, uh, you know, I, why I brought up this topic of lethal autonomous weapons is because mankind is interested, interested uh, in, a, in, in a way that uh, they, we are seeing the dangers of these laws, as they are called, lethal autonomous weapon systems. Uh, the United Nations already has uh, a committee in Geneva looking into this, into this aspect. And uh, I will end this by just quoting that, you know, where artificial intelligence is leading us to in warfare, uh, if the ethical points and if we don't keep our feet on ground, if we don't stop doing better than the others as far as giving autonomy to machines is concerned, uh, to quote a speaker who was there in Geneva who said that we will actually come to a stage where we will have to lay down what would be the role of human beings in warfare because we would have given so much of autonomy to machines. So with that, we come to a close. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Malhotra, uh, Rajiv Malhotra, and General Pandu for this wonderful session and uh, insights and thoughts into artificial intelligence and where it's taking us uh, in the in modern world. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Avian Bahadur and Rajiv Malhotra. Thank you very much. <laughs>